share the load. This is the grand re-re-reopening podcast 3.0. I will still take call-ins if anyone has any, Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to be showcasing um, the work of educators, consent educators um, who I've worked with and also friends of the show. So today I'm talking to Sharon and I'll let you introduce yourself. How about that? Cool. That sounds great. Hi, I'm Sharon. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a human animal bond facilitator and human canine interaction strategist. I uh, am also a licensed occupational therapist. I have a master's and a doctorate in occupational therapy, and I uh, did my residency in community-based mental health in the Los Angeles mental health system. And I also have over 16 years of experience working as a dog trainer and canine behavior consultant, specializing in rescue rehabilitation with anxious and traumatized dogs. I didn't know that you were Dr. Sharon. Sharon, this is news to me. (laughs) (laughs) Announcing, yes, I am a doctor. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, then there's a whole lot of stuff we could play with, with like the dog doctor. I don't know. Just brain spinning here. Um, Okay. Well, I've known you now for quite a while, come to think of it, going on two years. And I, um, from my vantage point, you have had like a really amazing transformation. It's been really cool to see. Um, And we work together in a number of ways. So I wanted to start by asking you um, a little bit about your like before consent practice to after consent practice. I think what I'm trying to... um, get at a little bit more in my work is like moving away from this idea of consent being permission or like, is that okay? Yes. Okay. Like that's end of story. Um, And also moving away from this kind of good, bad binary where I think the word consent can bring up a lot of fear and a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. Um, and, and there's often this sense that like, if you seek support around consent and boundaries, um, you're either going to like be racked with guilt and realize that you've done a bunch of things really wrong and you're going to feel terrible about yourself, or you're going to realize that a bunch of horrible things have happened to you and you're going to feel really terrible about yourself. And that has not been my experience at all. And from talking to you, I don't think that has been your experience. So that was a long winded way of asking you what consent and boundaries means to you as far as this, like what you thought it was. And then once you sort of found it, like what has happened for you? Mm. Such a great question. <laughs> I, I'm thinking back to when I first started working with you, which was in January of 2021. And at the time, I remember feeling like uh, so many things. <laughs> I was really depressed 
and I was struggling with PTSD. And this was after like I had worked in the LA uh, community based mental health system for a couple of years and I got burnout (laughs) right away. And uh, so I left that world and I didn't really know uh, what I was going to do next. I was kind of falling back on my small dog training business, but I didn't really know how to incorporate my doctorness into that work. And, and then, um, I was also realizing that the structure of that work was not sustainable. Uh, I was driving to people's homes and driving all over Los Angeles and I couldn't grow and I didn't have time to rest and I couldn't see how I was ever going to like move out of my apartment and into a more comfortable living situation. And then my uh, family had a terrible tragedy. My sister was in a car accident And my partner and I ended up moving out of LA and back to New York to help family. And once all that uh, sort of passed and I was like back to figuring out myself, I felt like I had been going through life just saying yes to other people and doing what I thought other people wanted or needed. And I felt like I had given every single piece of myself away and that there was no return on that. Like it didn't behave like an investment where like I was taken care of by the people that I had cared for. And I really just didn't know how to be in this world anymore. And so I, when I came to consent, I was looking for a way to figure out how to be me and how, how to live and how to heal. I love that. I've heard from from quite a few people now like that there's this shift that takes place when they go from thinking that consent is about how you treat other people to recognizing consent as a pathway inward. Like recognizing that consent is a it can start with how they treat themselves, how they listen to Mm. themselves and a way to get to know themselves better as opposed to just um, like an externally relational thing. Um, Mm. So I, I really like, I really relate to what you're saying about losing that sense of self. And I'm hearing a lot about, um, these kind of people pleasing tendencies around like trying the the guesswork, the labor, the emotional labor of the guesswork of like trying to figure out what other people want um, that happens when you put yourself aside. Um, And this idea of like, of losing your sense of self is so pervasive. That was something that I really struggled with in romantic relationships where it would get so I would get so distanced from myself that, you know, they would ask me like, what do you, where do you want to go for dinner? And I would be like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't even, I can't even feel where I want to go to dinner because I'm so much more preoccupied with where you want to go to dinner. Um, so I've had a similar experience with consent that like learning about the ways that I've been pushing my own boundaries and the ways that that has made me sick, like physically ill, um, has been incredibly um, expansive 
for me in, in getting to know myself and then also in my relationship with my work where there have been like huge risks that I've taken or things that have felt like huge risks in saying no to something or saying like, actually, you should hire this other person or saying like, I don't do that. Um, and, and recognizing that the payoff in, you know, you talked about this kind of like um, return on investment. Like when I say no to stuff, I see time and time again that like bigger, deeper, full body yeses come through. They And I recognize them more. Often it's also because I've said, um, actually, you should hire this other person that someone is now like, wow, I really trust your judgment because you know when you're not the right fit for something or when you're at capacity. Um, so I'm curious how you've seen um, consent show up in, uh, in your work in two ways. So one being like your relationship to your work and then the other being in the work itself. Hmm. I really appreciate you hearing, um, hearing the components of my story and finding a resonance with them. That feels really sweet. Mm-hmm. And mm, I think I want to talk about the first question first, which is how, what was the first question? The first how question was, how has consent shown up in your relationship with your work? Mm, yes, great question. I would say there's a lot of ways that this can be described. One is in how, like how I allow myself to move at a slower pace. So before consent, I was working on an urgency motivation, you know, Mm -hmm. like a constant hustle and say yes to every client and, um, like just do whatever it takes. Right. And, and it, like, I liked my work, but I also always had a feeling that like, well, if I wasn't going to get paid for this, I definitely wouldn't do it, you know? Right. And now I allow myself to recognize all of the spaciousness that I can have when I slow down which is like, for me, it's like a speed, you know, it's a slowing speed, but it's also a deepening of awareness, you know, so really paying attention to how I make my to-do list has changed. I, I make three columns. I make a column for what I want to do, what I have to do, and what other people want me to do. Whoa. And I allow myself to not do the things on the third list until I'm ready. Or I realized earlier last week that when I'm not doing the things on the third list, um, sometimes it's because I'm in a freeze or Uh, I don't have enough information and I'm not sure what questions to ask or something. Like there's some reason why I'm putting it off. And I also have this different relationship with creativity. Whereas before it was like, I have to create something. I have to do it 
you know, at a certain time. And part of that was because of grad school, you know, like you have deadlines and there's not flexibility and they don't seem to realize that you're doing this full-time program and working at the same time. That's a different story. But, um, but now I recognize that ideas will come to me, whereas before I was constantly chasing yes. them. And now it's like, I'm just going to sit here and I know and I trust that the idea will come. And if I don't have an idea right now, that means it's time to go outside and play because yes. I'm done working today. Or like go for a walk or take, I think about this idea of like creating the environment in which you can have shower thoughts, you yes. know, these like this idea of like the, the thoughts that you have in, in the shower. And, and I think those are promoted by the fact that you are, you like have to do nothing right now. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll be working and I'm like hitting a wall and I'm like, this is so frustrating. And then, you know, it, the solution comes to me while I'm cooking dinner or while I'm walking my dog or while I'm in the shower. And so that's actually something that I think for anyone who does anything even remotely creative um, or, or where you have to problem solve, which I think is like a branch of creativity, um, mm-hmm you actually have to like build into your pricing the time Mm -hmm. that you need to spend cultivating shower thoughts because that's how the work Mm -hmm. moves forward, right? That's how like you find the new stuff that's the, the pushing the, the bar. Um, yeah. So I, I, I love that. Okay. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So now I think it's, I mean, it's all, it's a constant practice, right? So I have to, I still have urgency creep up on me and I still have days where I'm like, oh, is this working? I don't know. Um, but I also have this ability to have conversations with my own body, which I didn't before because I was in such a free state for so long, probably the majority of my life that I couldn't. I couldn't feel when I wanted to do something versus when I had to do it. I didn't even know. And and I didn't have this ability to come up with ideas to ask for help. Like it wasn't just hard to say, can you help me? It was also like, I don't even know what to ask for right now. Like what's on the table or what are my options? And so now I pay attention to that. And I look for lots of inspiration. You know, one of the inspiration areas comes from Muggins, my dog, who is really good at asking for help and Mm -hmm. like being really specific. Like I need this right now and using such enthusiasm also. And I really learned that like, I can't ask for help when I'm like, really depressed and don't want to get out of bed. And, you know, like no one's going to come and help me when I'm like, please help me. (laughs) (laughs) But if I'm like, hey, everyone, I'm I'm trying to do this really cool thing. I just need you to do X, Y, or Z. And I bring the energy, then people are like, oh, yeah, like, what are you doing? I want to jump on that and, and do what I can to get involved. I will say, I think you deserve help even without the enthusiasm, everyone should be supported, especially in those states. But I do hear what you're saying, especially around maybe like creative pursuits, 
where it's like, if you don't have the excitement about what it is that you're doing and you're just kind of like, yeah, I mean, I like do this thing and you know, it's okay. It's, it's fine. It's a job. Like who's going to be like, I want to be part of that. (laughs) So I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I also experienced that with my dog where she's like, walk, (laughs) can we go for a walk? You know? And I'm like, yes, we can. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And there's something about that that gets me excited too. And then I can say, thank you for communicating so clearly. You make my job so easy. Um, Okay, so I also want to hear, well, I'll, I'll give you two, there's two places I want to finish the part about how, how consent shows up in the work itself, because I think for anyone who's not, um, who's new to the idea that you can practice consent with dogs, I want to um, share a little bit of how that works. But the other thing that I want to ask you is about how a consent practice sort of helped you in facilitating your own healing. And so if there's one that you would prefer to start or end with, it's your choice. Mm, let's do the healing one next. Great. Cool. So how, there are so many ways in which consent has supported my own trauma healing. One has been to help me become aware of my trauma responses, you know, to be able to be more objective about them and to be an observer of myself. Like before I would, I kind of felt like I was at the mercy of my nervous system, just like whatever the nervous system's doing that day, I'm going along for the ride, you know, whether it's being completely frozen and unable to speak or uh, having a panic attack or um, like a total meltdown in a social situation, like whatever it was, I just felt like I was always behind and reacting to what was going on around me and I couldn't ever get ahead. And now, well, also with that, I had a lot of shame and guilt about how I was behaving and a lot of insecurity about myself as a professional and just felt like I, an imposter. Um, and someone who was just ill and unable to be successful. And now I can be more objective because something might happen that triggers a freeze response or begins a panic attack. And I can, I can feel it and I can notice it sooner than before. Whereas before I would not notice until it was at the most intense level. And now I can feel like that subtle, shift of like, oh, that's the direction I'm going or, 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 oh, that, I didn't realize that affected me that way. Um, and I can take note of it. And it's almost like I can be a parent to myself or a guide to myself and not be overwhelmed by the shame of like how I'm behaving. And instead I can recognize like, oh, this is happening. I need to do this, whether it's take a break or walk muggins or do some breathing or whatever it is. That's amazing. I love how you put it that you can kind of be more of like an objective observer um, of what it is that's going on with you. And you are also jogging my memory about um, like there was a really uh, a, a major shift for you going from like head to body 
um, mm -hmm. that happened through this work. And I think it sort of coincided, or you can speak to this, but from the outside, it sort of seemed to coincide with um, a lot of like new ways that you were creatively expressing yourself. Mm. Yes, that is totally true. I think creative expression in my work, it comes out publicly, right? It's like on my Instagram or my website or how I'm talking about something. Um, and that is really scary or it's something that has been really scary for me. And so when I was super insecure and um, just like having meltdowns all the time, I <laughs> had a really hard time with that because the like trauma brain in me caused me to do all of this um, rumination and like excessive planning and things. And I would get so tripped up in that, that I couldn't create Instagram posts. Like it would take me weeks to create one, or I couldn't come up with an idea for a class, or I was just stuck in this like practice mode and I couldn't get out of it and actually mm. make offerings for sale. And now I like, like I said before, I just kind of like know how to, I know I can feel when I'm in a creative place and I'm like able to um, say like, oh, now's a good time for me to create this. Or I can recognize when I'm done or tired or not being creative and just objectively go like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this for now. I'll do it later. And I don't have that urgency behind me that's like no you have to do it now or else blah 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 I can be like nope go away urgency I'm gonna go swing on the swing outside or whatever it is yes yes the swing is your best friend I love yes. that um okay so consent with dogs how mm -hmm. why how does it what does it look yes. like yeah, there are there are two key pieces, I think, of how consent is showing up in my work. And one is in direct practice with dogs. And the other is in teaching other people like dog trainers and other dog care professionals, and eventually healthcare professionals who do animal assisted interventions, teaching those professionals about trauma informed practice. And so the piece with dogs is my favorite. I had, uh, right when I started working with you privately last year, I had adopted Muggins from the shelter. And Muggins came with their own trauma history and hypersensitivity and reactivity, um, had a bite history at three and a half months old and was essentially unadoptable. And I was so excited because I was like, oh, cool. I'm learning this really neat stuff. And I think this is going to really help Muggins. And it's been really amazing to see the ways in which Muggins and I can have conversations, like literal back and forth, complex conversations about specific things like teeth brushing or nail trimming or cleaning a scratch or going for a walk. And part of that is in my ability to recognize my nonverbal cues and to mm. realize all of the things that I'm communicating to Muggins besides what I'm saying with my voice and 
Part of it is teaching muggins, like specific words, so they understand when I say specific things, but also teaching muggins how to make requests. So giving them the skills so that they can ask for things. And, and then I also have to observe muggins and recognize there are real subtleties and specificities in what they're communicating. Like if their head is straight toward me versus a little bit to the side, it does actually mean something different. And I need to pay attention to that. So it's been a really amazing journey from a year ago to now for me to be able to um, live with this dog who now can just lay down and take a deep breath without being told to when Mm. they're asked to wait something and who recognizes that um, they need help sometimes and they come to me and ask for help and it's been so beautiful also to see their relationship with my partner who's a cis man who um, one of the most beautiful things is how we approach helping muggins when they're barking out the window at something like most people would be like tell the dog to be quiet or whatever and, and the approach is to get the dog to stop barking. But Tom and I, our approach is to go and help Muggins, to look out the window and see what Muggins is telling us about, and to explain to Muggins what is happening so that they feel validated, their body can calm down, and then they can interact with us and learn how to move through that situation. That's incredible. That's amazing. I'm just like my dog's asleep, like completely knocked out against the door. And I'm like, are we talking like this, Tennessee? She's passed (laughs) out. She's not even listening. Um, We talk, but it's not like what you're describing. And I think for a lot of people, the hump to get over is like believing that this is possible. Like it's not like the things that you're describing are like that – hard to do you know what I mean like like unlike I don't know learning like a backflip or something like what you're talking about I'm like I I know how to do that it's just that I wouldn't do that because it it doesn't in my you know sort of like layman's understanding of like what dogs are capable of it doesn't sound like that is possible um Mm -hmm. You were also talking about your own nonverbal cues. And that Mm -hmm. is so cool to hear because I'm thinking about that shift for you going from head to body and this idea of noticing your own nonverbals and going like, oh yeah, I'm looking down and to the right. That's because I'm nervous right now. I'm talking about something that's hard for me to talk about. Oh, I'm fidgeting huh, okay, maybe I need to take a few deep breaths and like figure out why I'm feeling that stress right now. Um, And so that like recognizing nonverbals is this like intellectual way into the body. So for anyone struggling to get into the body, um, that it's a nice like segue kind of, it helps you kind of like use that logic brain to get in. And then once you're in, it just gets subtler and subtler and subtler. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I love that that was then something that was like deepened in, in like reciprocity with Muggins. That's really mm-hmm. special. Yeah. 
So you said there were two ways that this shows up in the work and that was the first one, right? Yes. Okay. So the second one. The second one is in teaching trauma-informed practices to dog professionals and healthcare professionals who do animal-assisted interventions. And I didn't realize this at first, um, but last year I have a relationship with a professor at uh, Cal State Dominguez Hills. And she asked me to come and do a guest speaking uh, talk to her uh, OT students, and occupational therapy students. And so I prepared this talk incorporating uh, some of the consent um, constructs and things to, t- and to teach them because part of um, in the outlined best practices for animal assisted interventions is that there is a collaborative model between the uh, clinician and the human client and the dog and that the animal is not coerced or manipulated in order to participate. And so I'm teaching this to the students and we did a, we did a couple of exercises, like we did practice saying no, and we did this other somatic exercise where I showed, uh, had them talk to each other about experiences with dogs and then share how it felt to do that. And at the end of it, the professor um, told me and the class that we were really talking about trauma-informed care, that every single student, whether they did animal-assisted interventions or not, could take with them and improve their ability to be trauma-informed and to help all of their clients feel safer. And I think that is so important. It's not something I learned at OT school. It's not something I learned working in LA community-based mental health. And definitely, I've never seen any continuing ed or heard of anything like this for dog trainers and dog behavior professionals. But it, like when you have the level of awareness of how your nervous system is behaving and how you might be impacting the other people around you, you can be more trauma-informed and you can create this sense of safety and sense of agency in your client that is so important because when you're an expert or a doctor or a therapist, you have this power over the client. And that is so abused and misused in healthcare and in dog training and everywhere there are experts that people don't realize that they have the option to say no or to opt out, that they have a choice about how something is happening and that they have a choice about whether or not they do to their dog what the person they hired is recommending. Yes. Amazing. I, a few things are coming to mind. One is that I just found out that you can tell the nurse at the doctor's office that you don't want to be weighed. So I just tell them oh I don't want to be weighed. Really? Yes. Yes. Thank you for when, telling me. Yeah. When they oh. say like, we're going to get your vitals and weigh you and stuff. I'm like, I don't want to be yeah. weighed. And they're like, okay. Oh, that's so nice. I know. Wow. I know. Mm -hmm. So there's a new no for you. Um, The other thing is that you're welcome. The other thing is that um, you've touched on imposter syndrome a little bit. And one of the, you just mentioned something that like helped me get through my own imposter syndrome, um, you know, which I still deal with, but like in a big way, I was, it was a constant problem for me when I was first starting this 
this work when I was first starting consent wizardry or share the load at the time. I don't know. They're sort of interchangeable. Um, still working on my branding. Um, but when I was first starting my consent education business or school, um, I was so afraid. I was like, people are going to think I'm a therapist. Um, imposter, imposter, imposter. I don't have a master's. Da, 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 da. And one of the things that helped enormously was that all these therapists started coming to my classes because they were like, we're not mm-hmm. learning this in school. And that really like caused a huge flip in my head where I was like, I'm not being mistaken by a therapist for a therapist because therapists know that I'm not, and they're seeking out this particular kind of education that's not showing up. So you're talking about how like what you're doing is not being taught in to OTs and it's not being taught to dog trainers. You, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm also remembering Sharon, like when we first started working together and you were like, I don't belong in this Facebook group and I don't belong in this Facebook group and I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And I, and I was mm-hmm. trying to get you to see that as an asset and not as like something that was to your detriment. And I've seen that in you where you're like, I'm doing this thing and no one else is doing it. And like, come and get it. I'm ready for people to come and get it. Mm -hmm. Yes. I am so ready. And you're right. At the time I felt like, I felt like doors were closing. Yeah. And, and I didn't realize I was choosing to close those doors because I I didn't want to be there. I don't want to work in healthcare. That was, I'm so, I'm not a dog trainer. (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I I mean, I feel like that was like a lot of what we focused on was like, you don't want to be there, Sharon. Like you are choosing (laughs) not to be there. You're because you're creating something that no one has ever done before. Like there's, I keep Mm -hmm. seeing this meme. I don't, I think it's about, cancers and I'm a cancer so it keeps sticking out to me but it's it's like some riff on like are they rejecting you or do you not want to date them you know and there's this like sense of like gosh like I can't find the relationship that I'm looking for because people keep not wanting a second date and I'm like no Mia you don't want a second date like that's why you're relieved (laughs) that they don't text you like it's not yeah (laughs) Anyway, I could talk about that in a whole other podcast. Um, Time has come for you to plug away. What have you got to plug? Cool. So I have this really cool new business called Human Canine Collaborative. And this is a business to support humans and dogs in working together for mutual flourishing. And I have some coaching programs available. Private coaching, one is called co-regulation and focuses on nervous system regulation and trauma recovery for both humans and dogs. And the other is called collaborative care. So it's learning a consent-based practice for hygiene and touch-based activities with your dog or to help your dog become an active partner in the collaborative model for animal-assisted interventions. And I have two classes coming out this month. One is on Thursday September 22nd, and it's called Everything But the Words for anybody who's a human and lives with a dog. It's a class on the nonverbal cues of human and canine communication. And the second class is a week later, Thursday, September 29th, 
also everything but the words, but this is a continuing education course for dog behavior professionals. So you can get continuing ed units if you take this class and both of them will be recorded. So if you can't make it live, you can get the recording. Cool. I'm going to sign up for everything but the words for people who live with dogs. And if I can't be there, I will watch the recording. Awesome. Um, and where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Holistic Dog Expert or on my website at hc-collab.com. Okay, Sharon, thank you so much. I'll be talking to you very soon. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah.